Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Wesco. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 13th episode of 2023. But before we kick off, I'd like to thank our um, Wesco, our platinum sponsor, Fiber for Breakfast, and our gold sponsors, Nokio and Vetro. Today, the Fiber Broadband Association is hosting Fiber Day on the Hill in Washington, D.C., in the Rayburn Building. Our goal is to set the record straight and educate members of Congress and their staff on the capabilities, performance, and necessity of fiber to close the digital equity gap for generations to come. The event features five interactive demonstration stations presented by FBA members that show what fiber is, how it improves the U.S. households, communities, and the economy, including facilitating 5G, precision agriculture, education, healthcare, and economic opportunities. Yesterday, President Biden kicked off the Investing in America tour in North Carolina. As part of this effort, Secretary Raimondo is visiting fiber manufacturing plants in North Carolina, so some of our members there. As part of the uh, bipartisan infrastructure law, the administration is making high-speed internet available across the country using American-made fiber optic cable in North Carolina to get it done. You know, our next regional event is coming up quickly. This will be in a week. Um, it's at, uh, we have the, the Regional Fiber Connect Workshop and then Train the Trainer in Oklahoma City on April 6th. You know, these workshops are incredibly popular, so please register today. And registration is also open for our Regional Fiber Connect Workshop in Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas on May 16th. You know, these workshops and hotels sell out quickly. So please register for Austin. That brings us to today's Fiber Breakfast session with Ryan Kudra from Finley Engineering for a session on electric co-op broadband. Why make ready matters. Last week on Fiber Breakfast, we heard from Jeff Hainan from Del Oro on fiber history in the making based on his most recent research. To me, the shocking takeaway was on how much fiber cable companies are deploying. He also highlighted that fiber equipment Spending in North America increased 19% year over year with substantial investments in 10 gig XGS Pond. Jeff expects XGS Pond to continue to dominate the market through the end of the decade with 25 gig Pond continuing to grow and 50 gig Pond, that's 50 gig Pond, emerging as an option in a few years and 100 gig Pond on the foreseeable road to the future. That brings us to today's Fire for Breakfast session with Ryan Kuduja for a session on electric co-op broadband, why make ready matters. Ryan joined Finley Engineering in 2022. And prior to joining Finley, Ryan served as the broadband director for the state of Wyoming. Ryan has served many roles in telecom, broadband, and energy sectors during his 25 year career with positions including field operations, uh, instruction, economic development, regulation, and finance with a continued focus on rural broadband in the Rocky Mountain West. So welcome, Ryan. And for our audience, please type in your questions as go, and we'll work those in 
Q&A at the end. So with that, I'd like to turn things over to Ryan. Hey, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. It's uh, nice to be back and, and going forward again. Um, uh, and thanks for having us. It's, uh, it's a good time to, to get out there and see, uh, see the difference we can make, of course. So on the presentation today, we're taking kind of a look at the electric cooperatives um, and then why make, make Ready matters. Um, of course, it's through Finley Engineering. Finley was established in 1953. With, uh, we have electric and electric power and communications industries. We have six locations. Of course, our website is www.finleyusa.com. And if you have a need, uh, we have a solution. I tend to tend to take a look back. Now you've mentioned the history of fiber and um, how that role plays role in today. I'd like to look back at the electrification and how how some of the some of the road work was laid as as many as a hundred years ago, and uh, my kind of personal relationship with some of that. Here we see a picture of FDR. He's handing a pen to a gentleman in a bow tie. A uh, man from Beaver City in McCook, Nebraska, known as George Norris. Uh, anybody that's familiar with TVA will recognize uh, George Norris. As right there, they're signing, uh, they're signing the Muscle Shoals Bill, which actually went in and provided the de development for the Tennessee Valley Authority. So with the with the success of the TVA and the progress, President Roosevelt on May 11th, 1935, signed Executive Order Number 7037, which furthered the the uh, muscle muscle excuse me, speaking of names, the Muscle Shoals uh, Bill. He expanded off the success with that, with this executive order. Uh, go ahead, please. With the Rural Electrification Administration. Of course, as an executive order, he can establish the administration. From there, uh, Norris was not happy with the progress of the administration. So they he proposed a bill in 1935 that need that was also supported by a Texas representative, uh, uh, Representative Rayburn. And at that point, they got that passed through Congress and signed by President Roosevelt in May 20 of 1936, making something that still exists today off the Rural Electrification Act. The Rural Electrification Act, of course, uh, is part of the Rural Utility Service underneath the USDA. There's a lot of bits and pieces and parts, but uh, this is the generality where it got started. So this here really made a boom back in the day of, of electrifying the rural parts of the country. And I would make a note, there's parts of uh, Nebraska, and again, uh, being from McCook as well, um, they, they didn't see electricity sometime into the 50s and 60s. So it really, it really made a difference, but it took a long time uh, to actually reach the depths and the spans of, of uh, rural America. And here is just what, because of that act and how it rolled forward and it is allowed to borrow low interest loans, et cetera, and create the electric cooperatives that so many of us are members of. And the one thing that they really didn't intend on was the, uh, uh, the economic development. I mean, they went in in 1933 with electrification, put it across farms and ranches across the country to work smarter. You know, now you had pressurized wells. You didn't have to pump, didn't have a pump jack in the house. You, you eventually came refrigeration. Suddenly you didn't have to milk the cow by hand. You had a device to do it. 
uh, it's that, you know, in uh, separate, same way. And then one thing we all don't think of, and I know I sure don't, um, electric fans. You know, imagine summertime in Texas uh, with just the windows open, hoping for a breeze, you know, made a huge change in lives. And one note, one note, it's 1933. So we think back to the, how things worked back there and everything was built on a handshake. And of course, uh, we build things a little different today as well, as you can tell, uh, leaning ladders on, on side of gen pole trucks, et cetera, just making it work to uh, now linemen working out of the helicopter. Um, so then you fast forward to 2023 and now the broadband build out. Now, instead of just learning to work smarter and different, different advantages in the electrification field, now we're adding working, learning, health, stock trading, video watching, game playing, and then we add the rural piece of this, the ag internet of things. You can monitor so many things because of broadband anymore. You can check on green bins uh, from your phone. You can watch your, you can watch your uh, irrigation from your phone. You can time your commodity markets to where you're looking for a higher level of profitability. Remote livestock options, again, all in the point of working smarter. Uh, one no noted difference is now the cost of the handshake. So now we get into the point of why make ready matters. So the cooperatives and how they've been involved with the building of rural America since 1933 and, and all through the past hundred years, they've seen a significant amount of generational change. You know, they were key in the generational change in the 30s in electrification of America. And here they're being called on again to do the same with broadband. And what I like to point out is, is some, some may think this is a new idea, but traditionally um, communication companies and energy companies have, have worked hand in hand uh, for many decades um, because it was the telephone poles that were first around and then energy came, electricity came and they decided, oh, let's try and put electricity on phone poles. Uh, any, any good <laughs> lineman will know you don't really successfully put high energy lines on top of a class 10 pole. But with the generational changes, the primary objective, of course, of our cooperatives remains the same. Uh, their initial objective is keep the lights on. You know, that's why they were, why they were formed. That's why they operate. And they each have a different broadband tolerance, um, whether they decide to just tolerate broadband and, and cooperate with communications companies like they always have, or the new game uh, deciding to participate. And now the electric cooperatives have the opportunity to go in and participate in the broadband boom. And, you know, many are still on the fence. I believe there's a report out there from NRACA that there's over 200 co-ops that have already uh, started participating in the broadband field with a total, I think, think their membership was in the 900 range. So, so less than a third uh, are, of our cooperatives are actively participating. So, so that either means the other two thirds are, are tolerant um, or still thinking about it. So that moves on to economic development. We all know as things change, you know, there's studies and studies. Uh, my alma mater tech school has really joined forces with other, with other colleges in Western Kansas because they see in the future, um, there's not as many people living in the rural parts of America because of well, one, you know, automation is a lot of reasons. Um, but they, they can help economic development. One of the largest, um, I saw a report today from, uh, from, a, you know, from, <laughs> from some newspaper here in Wyoming 
that uh, Wyoming is actually home to the leading homesteader uh, YouTube person uh, out in, I believe it's in Platte County. Um, again, you know, over several hundred thousand followers, et cetera. I mean, amazing things in the, in the rural reaches of Wyoming. Um, you know, same thing here. I'm coming from you from a town of 300. Uh, work remotely here, uh, work for the state, done a lot of things and, and honestly haven't left my house. I, you know. So anyway, the whole point is it adds a lot of economic development to very small communities. And then ultimately uh, member and owner relations. You know, it improves and changes member owner relations and, and continues uh, showing showing the member owners that they are they're, uh, the success of, of the uh, cooperative. And some of the success stories that I've been directly involved in and have seen around me and, and one shocking one, uh, the Western Slope, Colorado. Uh, there's not a lot of people around that know that the Western Slope of Colorado from southwest to northwest um, is actually fed by a large co-op. Um, most, most of the backbone in that area is, is on uh, cooperative, uh, cooperative networks. So it's, it's very, very vital uh, to a large swath of, of uh, Western Colorado. And then the other one, and that's a, that's a case of being you know, broadband tolerant or, or supportive. Uh, the other one is uh, Moffat and Round Counties. There's, a, there's well, it's, it's my cooperative. My cooperative has gone through Northwest Colorado and has deployed fiber uh, across three counties. There's only two listed there, but they have, they're offering gig over gig at very good rates and have invested money, have received state and federal grants to do so, and have decided to participate directly. And then the one I'd like to reference in this picture is Teton County, Wyoming. If you look at the picture there, it's, it's not necessarily forgiving terrain for, for plowing cable in the ground, and and they wanted connectivity. So what did they do? They came off of uh, came off of a power line to feed a to feed a remote cap. It's a just further demonstrates the cooperation between the electric uh, electric co-ops and electric industry and the communications. So what's the you know when we talk about make ready, we want to talk about making the make ready. So you know what does it take to have make ready done? You know, first steps would be getting the pole inventory, knowing, knowing the attachments, who your attachers are, you know, pole tagging, you know, mid span, taking a look at the mid span. When's the last time that was made? Uh, pole loading analysis. The picture up in the upper left is, is, you know, deflection of a pole. You hope not to see it that far, or if it does, you hope it's still standing when it's done. Um, but it also, the pole loading analysis like this uh, out here in the, Western reaches of Wyoming, we get uh, pretty horrific snows and you get 90 mile an hour straight line winds. So you start stringing an additional cable for 40 miles on a pole line. You need to understand if it's going to stand up and snap back or snap off at that point. Um, then attachment management. It's, it's almost interesting to know how few uh, attachers or attachments are actually known or being paid for or inventory. Um, you know, so you need to go through on attachment management. You need to verify who, who is attaching, who can attach, uh, where they're attaching, height-wise required, you know, and if there's any changes that need to be made. Is there abandoned cables that need to be taken down? And again, uh, a lot of things exist out there that may or not may or may, may not be working and may or may not be part of the agreement. And then easement management. Again, uh, right-of-way verification. 
what do you have right is the right of way only good for electric can you put broadband on it that's a big sticking point out in the west um have a lot of right of way that they can put power on but that's it can't put anything else on and it just creates a, a long lengthy process uh, sometimes very costly for a lot of folks and then make ready reporting you know okay get a cost analysis uh, a lot of the grants and stuff require estimates that's a that's a big unknown you know how much it costs to hang hang cable and run line and all that but if you don't know uh you could go from a 15 percent make ready budget to a 65 percent make ready budget by just looking at your polls and realizing that okay the project was viable uh, now maybe not so much and then Make Ready helps get that cost analysis uh, placed. And also, even for existing attachments, uh, you get pole replacements reports. Like this pole in the picture here uh, on the right has a has a red tag around. That would be a maintenance. You know, that's on the that would be on the uh, electric company. Where if it was if somebody else was looking to hang a 288 from this very busy pole, um, you know, that would be that might be looking on them. That's a whole nother whole nother topic and we could spend two hours on that but just just some high level stuff there and then here uh, again how the make ready matters to the cooperative on the cooperative side you know the it gives a clear definition of the broadband requirements and the options okay it lets you lets you get a defined cost lets you understand what it's really going to take and then the options the cooperative could have uh, will help clarify some easement situations uh, may not be comfortable but at least get get through that clarification process. The attacher inventory, you know, whose attachments, what heights, what issues they're existing out. And then who knows, uh, haven't looked at your attachers for 20 years. The cable company or the, the telephone company may just be like, oh, hey, yeah, we need to go over here. We'll just string it on these poles. And suddenly you got five, 10, 20 miles of additional cable that you had no idea was there. Um, so, and that, that changes things as well. And then finally, you know, broadband decision making does is uh, this something that with the right grant, with the right finance opportunities, that that a, uh, a cooperative does want to get entered into? Um, because if you look at historically who the cooperatives serve, it's the low return. Everything I heard at the state was ROI, and ROI is a big thing, and not only on builds but ROI long-term, you know, maintenance. Um, in fact, I know there were some builds that we placed out in grants um, that wouldn't wouldn't return uh, over time. So that's, you know, and that's important. Uh, it's great that it's built and, and doesn't cost anybody much or even with the match, um, but ultimately if it lives in the red, it's, uh, it's a problem. Again, uh, ease in reporting. As states become more aware of attachers and pole lines, they, there's been states that have gone in and said, hey, you have to make your attachment rates a dollar. Um, you know, hey, you have to let other people attach. You, you know, the, the states are becoming more involved, asking for more information, and the Make Ready is going to help you do that. It'll help you report, uh, let, let everybody know what is available, what isn't available, and, and uh, what could or couldn't be built. And then finally, attachment request requirements. There is some out there that uh, some there's exemptions and there's a whole whole litany of things as well. But there there are attachment request requirements that are out there as well that some are uh, some companies may have to meet, some don't. But uh, that's up to you guys. But but it is it is out there. And then finally, the community. You know, you're always <laughs> I, I've had folks tell me uh, 
that you can't, as a uh, manager or somebody at a co-op, you can't get away. You you go to the coffee shop, and, and if you're not doing a good job, you're going to hear about it. And that's where it comes out here, is it exemplifies the cooperative support for your community. Um, no different than our representative on our on our board here. Uh, I drink coffee with, with her about twice a week. And sometimes we talk about electric, some, most of the time we don't, but if there's a topic, nobody's bashful to bring it up. So it really it really helps uh, helps helps the community to understand that yeah hey we're looking at it and now we can't afford to get in it but we can support it and then finally the commitment to the people and places it serves by having a defined kind of broadband plan for your cooperative it's it can really help you uh, put it out there it's like yes we are absolutely supportive of this and this is where we're at we may change our minds someday but. But right now, anybody that wants to come in, we'll help them the best we can uh, without damaging the health uh, and progress of the, of the cooperative. So with that, it kind of brings us on, on where to get started. And that's where Finley Engineering can come in and help you out. We have a whole list of stuff there, uh, market analysis, kind of everything we've gone through. I won't go through the list. Um, but yeah, feel free to reach out and ask a bunch of questions. And, and we will, I'd be more than happy to ask. And, I don't know. We've got some very far smart folks here at Finley that can can help you out. Yeah, then feel free to reach out. That's my email address. You can can uh, get a hold of me anytime. Ryan, uh, really interesting. So you're saying that um, over 200, what is there about 900 electric co-ops in the nation? Correct. And so it's a little over 200 that are deploying broadband today. How, why wouldn't every electric co-op deploy broadband? Well, and it's really it's really kind of interesting right now is I think it has a lot to do it well one it has a lot to do with investment and going back to that that key performance for uh, for the cooperatives this truly it is it's keeping the lights on that's all they've done for you know 70 years 80 years and and they're very conservative I've met a lot of my REA fam, uh, folks here in Wyoming and and it is it's very conservative and and broadband's very new very cutting edge so they just and honestly, some of the early adopters in the cooperatives weren't necessarily the most successful. Um, so there's a lot of that memory, a lot of that history there that really makes them um, really makes them a little edgy uh, to enter the market. For one, uh, for two, the uh, sometimes it just doesn't with the grants and the different regulations between because we know 25.3 was a speed, you know, now we're at 100 over 20 or 100 over 100 depending on the grant opportunities and the availability, uh, there just wasn't a lot of opportunity in the, in the higher return areas or in town. Um, so a lot of them would opt out uh, for that as well. I think, they're, I think that's changing and we're starting to see that change more and more in the cooperative space uh, because, because of the different dynamics uh, in the markets. Um, I know I've, we do talk to some of them out here in Wyoming Wyoming currently doesn't have a cooperative that has entered the broadband space um, because of it. But what we do have is a lot more um, regional carriers here. So it kind of changes the market market opportunities for folks. So are, is Finley or anybody that you know of working with the um, cooperatives in Wyoming and out west to take advantage of some bead money to be able to get into the broadband business? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, um, the my cooperative here out of out of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, they 
we actually uh, finally help support them in their builds and the federal grants and state grants that they've received to build out there as well. Um, we have we have opportunities in New Mexico, um, other opportunities around around the Rocky Mountain West that that we've been working on as well. So I know it's going to vary widely, but what what would be say a typical meters per mile on an electric co-op? That I wish I could answer a little closer. Um, well, let's just put it this way: some of the some of the reaches of that the, the cooperative that I know of went into the population base is like 0.3 per square mile is some of the some of the density that we're looking at. I mean, basically, there's there's one house in a five mile area with a you know with a small family. So to say, uh, I'm not sure what the meter density would be uh, exactly. Is there from uh, your work on this? Is there a certain density where it doesn't make sense? Or I mean, I would think that the cooperatives. I mean, they're in the business to serve the unserved. I mean, that's from 1933, right? That's the business they're in, and to serve these communities. And for every reason that these communities need power, they all need broadband. What? What? Um. What? So is it all aerial, or do they have any buried in the cooperative land? Um. Honestly, most everything I have dealt with is is aerial um, unless there's some demand or a crossing or something that they have to go buried but they'll they'll hang it all um, and then if the cooperative is actually hanging there's a slide in there too showing the showing the energized space and the communication space the nice thing about uh, the cooperative doing their own work is they could actually hang up in the energized uh, this energized space and um, get above any other any other potential conflicts down the side well, when I work with IOUs or public utilities, they have a ton of dark fiber. You know, they're connecting substations with fiber, and you know, they just have a very fiber-rich network. Um, the, don't you need to connect substations with fiber? I mean, isn't there some dark fiber that's being deployed? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot. Of, it's it's actually surprising how much uh, dark fiber there is in the transmission world. Um, you get into the higher capacity, 500 kV, the the 230 lines. Uh, you get in anything above, you know, definitely 230 and above. You've got large static wires, and we were we were placing, you know, five six hundred fiber static wires, OPGW, and might only use 24 for, like you say, a lot of the a lot of the grid controls and and different comms and AMI AMI specs. And it wasn't until probably the past, I don't know, 20 30 years that they realized, well, wait a minute, we could sell some of that dark fiber. But even at that, it gets to be a little uh, a little sticky on right of ways and 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 other items. Is is most of the right of way will allow for electrical operations, which would include AMI and grid control. Um, but what would really miss out uh, was when you start retailing that or commercializing that, and then that makes a difference uh, on your right of way. Not that it can't be changed, but again, that's when you know <laughs> that's when people that get paid a lot more than I do get involved and, and they hash it out. So, you know, some of the audience questions are, are lead times to establish make ready costs and timelines regulated? Uh, lead times, costs, yeah, none of that is, none of that's regulated at this point. So just best effort by the each co-op? Yeah, yeah. The only thing, about the only thing the that, you know, that would be, oops, sorry. Well, the poll attach rates, are they, are those set by the FCC or any regu regulated body, or is it each co-op has their own 
uh, poll attachment rates. It's my understanding that right now everybody sets their own rates. Now, um, I can't remember what state was it. It's a southern, I think, want to say Georgia, but don't quote me on that for sure. But there is a state that passed, might have been North Carolina, um, that passed a buck a poll. And basically, you know, the charge was going to be a buck a poll and the, and the state was going to step in with some with some funding for the difference. Uh, was the last I had researched that, but it's been well over a couple of years since I've looked into that. Yeah, that was um, had to do with um, while there was unserved until that they were able to serve those communities that the PUC had stepped in. Um, so they've been kind of, I've heard both sides of that argument. Oh, what about, is there, you know, one of the questions came in is, is there a standardized poll attachment agreement that can be used for these build-outs between utility company and broadband provider? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a boilerplate out there, but generally each uh, each co-op will have their own uh, have their own that's gone through their legal and whatnot. So yeah, it's it's going to be more customary. But um, you know, if there's if there's parts of it, you know, by all means, you can you can ask to negotiate your way through that. Well, Ryan, we really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing your insights with our audience today. And I want to thank our audience for joining us today. And we're going to get back together next Wednesday. We're going to be discussing the digital equity gap across the U.S. with Angela Ty Bennett, NTIA's digital equity director. So you're not going to want to miss that. We'll see you next Wednesday.